0: Welcome to Unfuck Your Brain, the only podcast that teaches you how to use psychology, feminism, and coaching to rewire your brain and get what you want in life. And now here's your host, Harvard Law School grad, feminist rock star, and master coach, Kara Lowenthal.
1: Hello, my chickens. So here's my question. Have you ever looked around and just kind of thought like, am I really in charge of what's going on here? I'm an adult now. I just do things on my own. I have this weird feeling every time I rent a car where like all of a sudden I feel like I'm 17 or something and I'm like, they're just going to give me a car, which makes no sense because I could literally walk into a dealership and buy a car at any time. (laughs) But there's just something about that like, oh, okay, I'm in charge here feeling that I think potentially something that women experience more than men because of our socialization That is something that I talked about, and you're going to hear in this episode that I'm talking about on the Papaya Podcast. So for those of you who don't listen to the Papaya Podcast, you will not have heard this conversation. And it was so juicy that I wanted to share it with you. We talk about not only that sort of like, wait, I'm the adult here, but we talk about the sort of beliefs women are fed and taught that our value fluctuates. We talk a lot about being a working mom and the conflict inherent in that and the tension that women experience. I actually coach Sarah, the host of the Papaya podcast through some kind of mom guilt that's coming up for her on the episode. So we really dig into a lot of I think core issues that touch on so much of what we talk about on this podcast. And it was such a rich conversation that I really wanted to make sure that you all heard it. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Sarah from the Papaya podcast, and I hope that you enjoy it as much as I did, and I think she did, recording it.
0: We are finally sitting down together today to have a conversation about un fucking your brain. And this one felt really different for me. You know, we've heard sort of sentiments about this before, but this is what kind of took me into a place where I was like, yep, no, we need this. You believe deeply in women's empowerment, but you don't always feel empowered. You feel a nagging disconnect between your high achieving life and the insecurity and anxiety that plagues you. People will say you have it all and yet you don't feel like you're enough. Three words. Fuck that noise. Cara Lowenthal, thank you so much for being here. I loved your website, first of all. Like I I get really, I'm sure you get this a lot when you see people are uh, like life coaches. They're just like, um, we've been served so many versions of life coaches. And so Mm -hmm. when I went to your website and I was reading a little bit about what you were talking about, especially just like, women's empowerment, but not always feeling empowered and just like that notion of feeling very high achieving, but also struggling with anxiety. I just felt like you were reading out to me my worst secrets and like (laughs) biggest fears all in these three sentences. But I can imagine a lot of people relate, but I would like to start sort of with who you are, what you do, and let's get into sort of rewiring our brains a little bit, how we get out of sort of some of this thinking.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. We were just chatting about how it's been like three years in the making. I know three years in the making for sure. I'm super excited to be here. I follow you and, you know, and read your work on social media and stuff. So yes, I am a life coach. And, you know, I think when people hear the word life coach, they think of a lot of different things. Some of which, (laughs) you know, there's a lot of different life coaches. I mean, it's sort of like saying I'm a you know, anything else. Like I'm a lawyer. Well, what does that mean? There's like you, are you a family law practitioner? Are you a constitutional law professor? Like what, you know, there's a lot, is your face billboard for ambulance chasing? Like there's like all different versions. So, you know, the work that I do is what I call sort of feminist practical philosophy, which means that we are like really thinking about, the Big questions, which are like, what am I like, what is the purpose of my life? What am I doing? Or how do I know what's true? How do I choose what mm. to believe? Like, I really think that you know, when men ask these questions, it's like philosophy and taught in schools. And when women ask these questions, it's like, oh, self-help, li- like Isle and Barnes and Noble in the library. Yeah. So to me, these are like the big questions that humans have always wanted answers to. And I think I became a coach as somebody who was a as you said, like high achiever in the kind of more mainstream traditional world, I went to Yale for college. I went to Harvard Law School. And then oh, wow. I had like a, yeah, I had a successful legal career. I was a, I worked in reproductive rights litigation and then I was an academic. And my, so my last job before I became a life coach was running a think tank at Columbia Law School, which is the normal wow. job you have before you become a life coach. <laughs> and so I made this jump. But the thing that had been, true through my whole life was like, number one, being a raging feminist and, you know, have never ripped my bra and love men. That's not, feminism is not a dirty word. And feminism's gotten a bad rap. And two, that I always was just, I felt like I was always looking around at the world and just being like, I feel like there's got to be a better way to do most of this. Like just being a human is challenging and hard. And most people don't really seem to have a great handle on like how Mm -hmm. to do that. And so I was into like psychology. I went, you know, I was into psychology and I went to therapy and I got into meditation and I got into yoga. I like did all the things you sort of do, you know? Yeah. Not from a place I never felt like a spiritual seeker. It really was much more from a like, this whole thing is crazy. Being a human is a crazy experience. And like somebody has got to have figured out a like more skillful, better way to do this. Like there have got to be some things I could learn that would help me understand my life and manage it with more intention. And so then I found coaching. And so the work that I do now is I really focus on helping people who are socialized as women identify the ways that society has impacted their brains, like what society has taught you to think explicitly mm-hmm. or implicitly, mm-hmm. and then how to change those thought patterns. So it's sort of cognitive change, and there are a lot of mindset coaches, a lot of cognitive coaches. There's also you know therapists who do cognitive work. But my focus specifically is how does socialization impact our brains and how can we rewire that?
0: Ooh. That is a lot to unpack. We're going to try a little bit today. Sorry. We're going to no, we're we're going to go for it. But I'm so fascinated because as a woman, yes, but also as somebody who is now mid to late 30s, that recognition and realization that this is adulthood. And I think a lot of us, and I talked about this on TikTok recently and I was really shocked by the answers where we're just feeling like we're supposed to feel like an adult at some point. And it sort of feels like we're faking it. It sort of feels like we're imposters in the entire job. And yet you look around, you're like, but I have a job. I have my children. They're cared for. We're doing everything. I don't know that I'm doing everything well or perfectly or balanced these, you know, notes that we would love to have. But being an adult, even in general, in that realization that this is it is very, has been a very terrifying awakening for me, sort of like this idea that I'm actually the one in charge and the decisions I make are going to impact the rest of my life. There's not always going to be my parents to swoop in and do this for me, although I still rely on them greatly. Is that sort of intersected a lot with this sort of work? Is like that recognition of, oh my gosh, like this is it. that This is what life is. And we have to figure out a way to find joy, peace in it and navigate it, especially as women with the full plates we have.
1: Yeah. And I absolutely, and there's a lot of different ways that intersects, but I actually want to talk about that, like, oh, like I'm in charge here feeling Mm -hmm. because I think that women experience this more than men because women are not socialized to see themselves as authorities or as leaders, right? So we're socialized to see men as basically like adults the minute that they're close to adulthood, right? And this comes from centuries in which, right? Thousands of years in which in many societies, anything I'm saying is like very broad brush. So I'm not saying, obviously it's never true in every society, but in many societies throughout much of human history, women were second-class citizens, Mm. right? Or were considered the property of their husbands. They were considered more like children, like their brains weren't as good as men's and they couldn't be trusted to make their own decisions. They needed the guiding hand of a man to take care of them and make their decisions for them. And so you know, this has sent thousands of years. I'm like, we've only decided to, that women in the US could be trusted to vote for about a 100 years. I could oh, be trusted to have a credit card for, you know, like 30 years. So no one said to me as a child, you can't be trusted to make a decision. Like that's not what most people explicitly are telling women anymore. Mm-hmm. But this culture and society are all shaped by it. So, yeah. I mean, I do think there's just a little bit of a normal weirdness. Like I still, every time I rent a car, I'm like, I could just drive this. Anyway sense because I own a car. So it's not even like I now have some new freedom. There's yeah. just this weird adultness to somebody being like, here's a
0: vehicle, do what you want. But I, I do think can
1: expect that more.
0: I think I also feel it a little bit around like tax season because I went mm-hmm. from being in a marriage where somebody else did the taxes, being back mm-hmm. at my parents where somebody else helped me do my taxes... Mm. being married again where somebody else helped me do my taxes. And I'm like, do I have to learn my taxes or am I really good at delegating? (laughs) Like there's parts of that too, right? Like the, why are there entire gaps within our own knowledge? But you make a really good point. And it's something that I've really struggled with like a discomfort with is recognizing earning an income and that being something that is not just something exciting or something that's like you're contributing to the household, but like you might also be carrying it. And I was saying this to my husband. I'm like, I can imagine this is something that you've dealt with, that you've, you know, had, you've grown up having those experiences with it but i've only ever had dabbling experiences in it. i've only ever really and without like giving too much away i basically took all of the money i've made at work and i invested it in one thing and if it doesn't go well then that's like all the money i've made so there's this like mass responsibility now that's like sitting on my head and i've never had that before because like i said besides the the window in which i was a single mom i still i i had two jobs i was i knew what my income was i was very confident in it Mm -hmm. where now I work in a variable income and there's a lot more riding on me. And I have such a discomfort around being a provider because it is not something that I ever grew up. My mom was, my mom was always the contributor income. I was, you know, the stay at home mom in my first marriage. This is the first time that we're kind of like, we're both equals in terms of bringing in if one of us didn't have an income, we wouldn't sustain. So it is sort of dually impacted, but I'm struggling with the, with the feeling of having that. And that kind of comes into this a little bit of a power play for myself where I'm like, wait, I I want this. I want the equality. I want equal wages. (laughs) I don't like this feeling though. This sucks. I don't want, I don't like feeling like it's all on my head.
1: Yeah, I think absolutely. I mean, One of the things that sort of doesn't get talked about enough, I think, is that any form of like oppression, equality, like any form of power dynamic, usually, not always, like obviously there are situations Mm -hmm. in which, you know, when people are enslaved, there's no benefit to the enslaved people, right? Yes. But in something like sort of gender hierarchy or gender power dynamics, there are small benefits, like you don't get drafted, right, Mm -hmm. into the military, or you are not expected to be the financial Of the household. Now, obviously, many women are right, whether they're single or married, they're the person doing the earning. And you know, I think historically that would be the case. And yet, still their husband would own their money, own them, even if that guy was just laying around drinking beer at the pub all day and his wife was the one out working at the market, he still owned. All the money she made, it was right. She still didn't have those legal rights, but women aren't socialized with that same thing. And you can, I mean, we're making progress, but if you think about it now, it's still right. So much more common for in a heterosexual partnership, the woman to stay at home and raise the kids, and nobody really bats an eye. But when a man does, it's still a thing, right? Mm -hmm. And I work with, I mean, one of the things I think is really fascinating about how we define kind of feminism or liberated relationships is like when I worked in reproductive rights. I worked at a nonprofit. And mm-hmm. when you work in a nonprofit in New York City, you get paid not really enough to live, you know not that much to live on in New York City life. And so there was this weird dynamic where almost everybody I was working with, like hundred percent called themselves a feminist, were feminists, blah, blah blah. And some of them were living on what they made. and it was, you know, it was tight. but a lot of them were married. They were mostly women, and they were mostly married to men who were like investment bankers, mm. right who were like bankrolling that. And then I became, a coach. And I was like in this much more ideologically diverse world kind of than like a lot of my close friends and colleagues, at least before I came along, didn't identify as feminists. Although I think I've like swayed some of that and they're all like retiring their husband. They're the ones making the money, right? They're the Mm. ones supporting the family being that provider. So I do think there is a lot of that socialization where men expect that they're supposed to grow up and get a job and be the provider. And women, it's more like opt in or opt out kind of up to you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or like even just the pressure to even, I mean, it's coming up more and more how many people are choosing not to have children because it's like not something you inherently have to do as a woman. Like being a woman doesn't mean being a mother and being a mother doesn't mean you lose your womanhood to it. And I think that's a, a big one that a lot of people struggle with is if am I less of a woman if I'm not a mother and if I am a mother am I less of a woman? We have this we have this battle where men are like they just become dads and then they're just still men. They don't really right. have that it's not same. as all consuming. But we should it also doesn't. say of
1: course like these are choices that you know that some women have and some women don't have right. Absolutely. Like you can if you're middle to upper class maybe you can decide that you want to stay at home mm-hmm. or not. Exactly. If you are a you know poor if you are you know a poor woman or a woman who has to work a job where. Both people are working jobs, and you can still barely get by. This yeah. isn't right. One it's of so the
0: options. nuanced, right? Even as when my kids were little, because childcare was so expensive, and I couldn't earn a living more than that, I I stayed at home circumstantially. I wish it right. had been more of a choice, but. It was a circumstantial one because childcare was more money than I could bring home in a day. So I think it's really important, like even when people talk about how good childcare is for a person or like how amazing staying at home is that you understand the nuance of like, not everybody is staying at home for a choice. Not everybody is putting their childcare or putting their kids in childcare out of just like pure choice. Sometimes it's necessity.
1: And there's also so much gender socialism in that though, right? Because it's like so rare that we would say about a man, well, your salary is equal to the childcare. So why don't you stay home? And like, I'll go, right. It's always like, we don't, we don't, we talk about women's work as though caring for children and whatever they do out of the house is like just an economic equation as if a woman's like professional satisfaction or Mm. desire to contribute to society in a different way, or just desire to not, a daycare provider if that's not what she wants to do, even for her own children, as if those don't have any value, right? It's like women's work is like some, when we do put an economic value on care work, it's like in this very limited sense where we, like women, either their work has no economic value or it's like only economic value and we're not thinking about anything else. Like maybe they don't want to be home all day with their kids, even if what they're bringing in is identical to or a little less than what daycare costs.
0: Yeah, (laughs) you said it. Now, as somebody who has been in this for a while now, what would you say are things that people, women especially, are coming in and needing to unfuck their brains from the most? Like, what are the, mm-hmm. y- you must see these common overlaps. And I'm sure for us, we all feel incredibly alone in them. And everyone's coming in mm-hmm. being like, I'm struggling with this. I don't know anybody else who is. And you're like, hi, I listen to 25 of you every week. Oh my, right. Well, I'm like, thing. Right, there's 3000 people in this group. You all have the same thought pattern. Isn't that wild? Okay. Yeah.
1: But so, and I use that all the time because I actually think, you know, on the surface, the reason people are coming is like, I'm really so sad about work or I have bad body image or I like, mm-hmm. You know, Mike. I can't seem to get the kind of relationship I want or like, I have so much anxiety around it, or I have a difficult relationship with my family, whatever. I mean, the fact that I, you know, I think some coaching work is sort of, I think it as vertical, which is like, I help people who have a bad relationship with their moms. And it's just like of any, you know, any background, any thought, pet, whatever. And mine is more horizontal. It's like I'm working on how your brain's been impacted by socialization. So, literally, every area of your life is an area that counts. But I think the thing that is the root of all of it is that women are socialized to believe that they do not have inherent value. Like, Mm. women are taught that their value is like the stock market, it goes up and down depending on. How they look, how many people want to fuck them, what other people think about them, whether they've made everybody happy that day, whether anybody anywhere disapproves of them, right? Like we are socialized so that you can feel amazing about yourself and you walk out of the house and a stranger says something about your appearance and your self-esteem is shot for the day, right? That's It's bananas. Like that's not objective, right? But that is how we're socialized. And so I use that all the time when I'm like, okay, it's possible That there's only like, there's like 3,000 people in the world who don't have any inherent worth and value. And they magically ended up in this coaching membership together, or (laughs) maybe everybody has inherent worth and value, but women are like, what are the odds that all of you are here or everybody has it, but women are taught, are disconnected from it and are taught that they don't Mm -hmm. and that their worth or value is basically like a running average of everybody in the world's thoughts about them.
0: Uh, I actually just was reading an article. There's, there's so much chatter about, um, Brie Larson in the Marvel movies and you know, how, what kind of a feminist she was and that she must hate men and all of these things. And I read her an article that she had in Vanity Fair, I believe it was. And I screenshot it cause it was so good. And she have genuinely never needed to look at the internet to explain to me who I am. And she added I'm extremely committed to that in my day-to-day life. And I thought, oh my gosh, it's so true because even if you're just not even as a creator, you're just posting things online or observing things online. Or I one time made a comment on a celebrity's photo and just like a supportive one. And people were like, how could you, like, why are you supporting? It was Britney Spears, of course. I love it. Everyone was like, how could you be saying she's obviously going through crisis and you're just encouraging her? And I'm like, yeah, I, I am, but you can't, you can't walk through online spaces Without being told or reminded what the world thinks of you, what your family might think of Mm -hmm. you. And, you know, we even create scenarios. I think about this for myself every single time I'm hesitant to go do something because of a bad body image day. Let's Mm -hmm. just claim that because that's been a big part of my last year has been stepping beyond that. And so you go and you step outside and you're not thinking about how you're experiencing or your own discomfort. You're thinking about made up realities in everybody else's head. And that's when you know you've been socially conditioned to just be like you said, how fuckable am I? Are people gonna like me? Am Am I acceptable here? Is this all okay? Even just last week, I was on a work trip. And a friend of mine asked if we wanted to go down to the pool. So I was like, okay. And all I had was like the skimpy little bikini. And I'm like, I don't think I, I don't really like get that bear down in front of like my friends. Sure. I do it for 2 million people on the internet, but do I do it in like an actual pool setting? And oh, the whole funny. time I was sitting there and reminding myself, look at this. Like, remember this, your friendship hasn't changed. Nothing's changed. Mm-hmm. They've not made a single note. Sure, they've seen a little bit more of your body now in real life. And look how much hasn't changed. Look how much you're just enjoying yourself Mm. being here. But I still move through the world constantly thinking about what everybody else has got going on in their brain and having to step beyond it. Is there a way to stop even thinking about that? Is is it just going to be managing the thoughts that we do have? No,
1: it's changing your thoughts. So what you think other people are thinking is going to be a reflection of what you're thinking. Mm. That doesn't mean other people aren't having all sorts of thoughts, but I'll just give you the example for me. So I, you know, people can't see me. This is podcast, but I live in a like, I mean, a, a fat body, but in the scale of the fat community, like you'd be like small fat, like a you know, yeah, I can shop in plus size stores. Yes, you know, I have privileges. Like I got hour, I'm hourglassy, I'm very femme presenting, whatever. But so, but I used to hate my body, and mm. body image was the first big area I did this work on, which is like why I believe in it so much, and so. Anytime I went out, I used to assume that anybody who was looking at me was thinking that my body was disgusting, right? Mm. And I did all this body image work. And now when I see people looking at me on the street, I assume that they think that I look good. Uh, That's just my default assumption. The truth, of course, is that at any point in time, both were always happening, right? Mm. Undoubtedly, when I thought everything was negative, some people were thinking that I was fat and gross, and some people were thinking I'd like to hit that. And now I feel amazing. Still, I am sure the reality is probably the proportions have shifted somewhat because my confidence is different and I present differently, but still a hundred percent like fat phobia is a real thing. Some people are thinking, ew, gross, judgmental thoughts. Some people are thinking I'd like to hit that. So sometimes when I say like your thoughts about what other people are thinking are your thoughts just your thoughts about yourself. What people hear is like, you're saying nobody's judging me because of my like weight or race or whatever. And I'm like, no, a hundred percent, they probably are. Yeah. But what you think about and like what you imagine, that is a reflection of what your primary internal talk is. So when my internal talk was negative, I assumed that everybody else thought negative of me, even though Mm. at that time, reality was probably 50-50 or whatever it is, 70-20, it doesn't matter. And now same thing. So that's how I know we can change it. But thought change is never a um, process of let me try to stop thinking a thing. Yes. Because that's not, you don't know how to do that. That's like trying to say, let me stop. I don't know, like blinking my eyes. You can hold it for a minute, but then it just automatically takes over. And also when you tell yourself to stop thinking something, your brain is the thing that has to establish if you're thinking it or not. So in order to like scan for if you're thinking it or not, it has to think it. So it just doesn't work what you have to do is replace that thought, right? You have to train your brain to think something new. Your thought patterns are habits. People may have heard the phrase like neurons that fire together, wire together. Oh, I've never heard that saying. Oh, really? Okay. Neurons that fire together, wire together. What that means is that the more often you have a mental habit of some kind, whether it's a thought or when your brain learns how to carry out a physical action, right? Like when you learn to drive, it's like, Ah, oh, there's so much happening. it's so overwhelming, right? Like so yes. you're like totally overwhelmed, because your brain has and your body have never done this before. Over time, those neurons fire together and wire together, and it becomes habitual. right? Mm. You no longer have to think about it. You're not freaked out by it. You can do it on autopilot while you're talking and listening to music. So the same is true of just thought patterns. Like as you start to think something new on purpose to replace your old thinking, It'll be weak at first. It'll take a lot of effort. You got to constantly remind yourself to think the new thing. But -hmm. over time, those neurons get stronger. You literally build neural connections in your brain. That thought process gets wired together and then eventually it becomes the default and you stop thinking the other thing.
0: Yeah, I I think about this all the time or I do this myself the the first thought, second thought and it's very much based around first thought forgiveness mm-hmm. that whatever you're thinking in your first thought, you have to forgive yourself for because that's your conditioning and the mm-hmm. second one is the one is who you're becoming. Like that's that's what I tell myself every single time I think something really shitty of myself. Like that's your conditioning. Mm-hmm. Let's replace that with something else and I will say like, as time has gone on, of course, there's times that it really pops up and it is very hard to avoid. Like you said, it's like trying not to blink. Mom guilt is a big one. I mean, I don't know that I will. And then work guilt uh, on top of that. If I'm doing too much with That's kids, so common, then I feel that work moms guilt. are always guilty either way. No. know. And this is why I own that title. And people will challenge me on, on using the term working mom because we don't use it for working dad. Mm-hmm. but i i think it's important for me to honor the duality of what i'm doing and recognize i am both mom and worker and that i'm constantly needing the reminder that i'm doing both and that sometimes mm-hmm. those really align well with each other and sometimes they they crash and collide and it's not super pretty but that one really comes up for me a lot so that that guilt part of like for instance just dropping my child off at Childcare, the guilt being like, I should have figured out a way to sustainably still work my job and care for
2: her. Mm-hmm. I, of course, I'm getting emotional. Sorry, I just dropped her what off. So mean? I just of already said. But then the second thought being, I'm making a responsible decision based on her needs being met and my needs being met and us coming together later with both of our needs met. That's like still a lot for me to process because I'm mm-hmm. sitting in the thought one and I'm sitting in, I just want to be with her. And I also want this career that I've worked 14 years for. And I don't think anybody, I remember the second I got pregnant, my first thought was, there goes my career. And that shouldn't mm. be, that shouldn't be your first thought after you right. find out that you're expecting is there goes my career. But it, it genuinely was. And we've done so much work to unpack that, so much work to add support and make sure that I am supported. But this still even almost two years down the road dropping off my kid being, this feels so wrong. I don't know what it is, but it feels so wrong. And so really working through those second thoughts today, when the first ones are like, if we're talking about blinking, my eyes have been closed off the day. Like I can't help it. Like I I'm think also so in this, it. And there's
1: this, but there's this socialization that women get that makes you feel like when you're having that kind of feeling <laughs> that you must have done something wrong <laughs> or that something has gone wrong. Right. So As a, true as opposed to like, of course, this is sad. I love two things that literally can't happen at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Right. And like, that's okay. Yeah. Right. But we make it mean we've done something wrong. Like I love, you know, anybody you have an attachment relationship to, like you have with your child. Yeah. Right. I have with my partner, like I both hate to go away for work. Like it's painful. I'm, very, you know, we're very attached to each other. I like to be with him and I love my work. And like mm-hmm. if I'm not judging myself, then I can just hold that I can hold that space for the human experience. I love two things that can't happen at the same time right now. Uh, how human of me. How, how human. Yeah. So that's the same. So right. There's a yoga and meditation teacher called named um Judith Hansen Lasseter, I think. That's her articulation of a concept from you know Buddhist teaching for centuries, which is, but basically it's just like acknowledging your own humanness, right? That takes down the suffering so much. Then it's just like, of course, I love these two things and I want to do them both. And I can't do them all exactly at the same time. And like, this feeling is okay. It's just part of my human experience versus what women are socialized to think, which is like, oh, I feel bad. I must've done something wrong. Mm. This must mean something's gone wrong. This must mean I'm making a, like, I'm balancing it wrong or I'm doing it badly. Like all of the self-judgment piles on top yeah. of what is a normal emotional experience that we don't have to judge.
0: Oof. Thank you for that. Thank you for that you're little welcome. therapy session that I personally- <laughs> That's very coaching much everybody in case you're wondering. <laughs> <laughs> this, I've there selfishly just overtaken this podcast for my own free no, I think life so coaching session. Because
1: people, people can hear in the abstract, but that's an yeah. example of how to reframe thinking
0: in the moment. I have to ask too, in terms of like, does this make me a bad feminist type of question? We're talking about, you know, uh, how much like we've been socially constructed to base our value on how fuckable we are, Mm -hmm. but also wanting to sort of own our own sexuality and wanting Mm -hmm. to be fuckable. Like a big part of my work is not coming in t- with my body anymore apologetically, which I feel like is a very much where I started a lot of it, very much like I am worthy of being here. Now being mm-hmm. like, I'm actually quite desirable. I actually mm-hmm. think I look bomb. I actually mm-hmm. don't think having stretch marks or loose skin or a larger size is inherently sexually bad. I want men to recognize that. How do we live with the duality of those types of thoughts where we're like, I want to really own isn't based on what men think of me, but also I kind of want them to think good things because I want to kind of like help and not help society make men like women more, but I want to help women sort of own their bodies again in a way that is not owned to men, but also understanding mm-hmm. that sometimes we do that. And this is obviously a cis sexual relationship type of conversation. But I kind of wonder, like, how do we mm-hmm. how do we navigate confidence in even like our bodies, understanding that it's sort of still baselined mm-hmm. around something that is not so feminist, like I just want to be fuckable or I feel fuckable and that sort of thought line.
1: Yeah. Well, the good news is I'm here from the International Association of Feminists to judge whether thoughts are oh feminist or not. Gosh. So you've re- got a full ruling. No, it's not up to me, of course. The way that I teach the stuff is like, you're never going to completely desocialize your brain. Right. So I'm not a purist by any means. Like we're never getting there. And the truth is like some of this stuff is now I'm going to be like really clear. I do not think that evolutionary biology explains like why women should be size eight and have big tits. Like that's Mm -hmm. how it's used sometimes by gross men's rights people. And like, no, if you look at the world, people have many different shapes and people want to fuck them. So it's not that the primary driver of like, I want to be sexually desirable. I want people like that for a lot of people, not everybody. Some people are asexual. Some people are demisexual, yeah. but for a lot of people, there is some hormonal biological push that way. Right. So yeah. between that and the fact that we can't, you know, you can't completely undo socialization. Socialization is also how we know to like pee in a toilet and go in a house and like what things are safe to eat. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. we're not going to, we're not trying to revert mm-hmm. to like, the natural state and become bonobo tribes, like living, right? So yeah. I think the question is always for me, there's two things to always look at, well, three things. It's really like, what is the thought that's pushing this? Mm-hmm. right so the the framework that i that I use is this sort of your thoughts create your feelings, create your actions, right? And also like, what does that create in your life? What are your results? So number one, like how does this feel? when I like it's awesome to feel like I look hot today and I feel good. Mm-hmm. but are you crushed when you think you look bad, right? Are you right. Const- like, can you, there's a difference between this is cool and this is fun, but I love myself no matter what. Yeah. And my self-esteem is up and down, up and down, up and down based on how many people try to hit on me in a day, right? So it's mm. like, what's the feeling driving it? Can yeah. you do without it? Yeah. What is the thought driving it? Are you like, well, I, you know, there's a natural, I think if you look at humans anthropologically, like, almost, you know, human tribes of any kind tend to have, for instance, some forms of body modification or Mm -hmm. body adornment. Like there's a natural human instinct for aesthetics, for set, right. For sexual desire, obviously. So I don't think it's about getting rid of all that, but it's about like, what if the Botox and the makeup and the push-up bra and everything weren't available? Mm -hmm. Would I be able to love how I look there? Right? Like, So it's not really about the men or whoever, whether you're trying to appeal to only, you know, if you're a a lesbian trying to only appeal to a certain type of other lesbian or whoever you are, it's just like, it's not, I don't, I don't spend a lot of time debating like what's the good and bad feminism. Like, I'm not fucking in charge. Who knows? And there's no one answer. Yeah. But how do you feel? And are you dependent on it? Like to Mm -hmm. problem with some of this sort of like empowering beauty culture, quote unquote, is like people become dependent on it, right? Yeah. Like- you want to get Botox occasionally? Fine. You feel like you can, no one will want to have sex with you if that you can move yeah. your forehead. That's a problem. What's your
0: motivation, right? And yeah. I and I felt that so many times. I would say that people would maybe consider that I've gotten things quote unquote wrong in the past, but I have such a lack of judgment for other people because I understand what it took for me to get to the place I am. I mm-hmm. used to like get up and put strip lashes on before my boyfriend now husband would even like see me in the morning. Like I was mm-hmm. so committed to my attraction and my value was like based on my looks and my makeup and how good it is, Mm -hmm. because it was very much a timestamp of like what I was going through in my life. It Wasn't anything that he projected onto me. It wasn't anything else except for like, Mm -hmm. yeah, beauty constructs and stuff. So then as time went on, I got into like the self-love and stuff and, you know, I'm I'm taking off the makeup and I'm trying to do that. I felt robbed of something that I actually genuinely loved, which is like this moment in the morning, getting ready and doing my makeup. and I, And I felt robbed of it and judged for it. Same thing mm. with like coloring my hair. Like, am I not, do I not love myself enough because I'm bleach on my hair? Is this a choice? What does it look like? So yeah, at, at this point, I'm like, I don't care if somebody actually is still struggling with like feeling so much value in their makeup and not being able to show their face otherwise. Cause I was that person. I remember mm. what it was like being there. And I know that like, I'm now at a place where I don't care either way. I leave the house with makeup and without it, but I acknowledge what inherently feels right for me based on how I'm doing. Like sometimes I genuinely just love that moment in the morning of getting ready. And it's not about doing it for anybody else, but it took a long time to take it back and do it for myself. And that, but it's still... I think what happens a lot of times is let's say somebody goes like completely makeup free for years. Those wearing makeup around them might be like, Oh, why are you doing that? And they're like, Oh, I'm just really trying to love myself without makeup. People will inherently hear. Am I like a bad person for wearing makeup? Because women don't because they question their own authority and they doubt themselves. So that's just it. So we just create judgments based on like each other and what we're individually doing. I have people all the time. that are like, I've followed you for so long and like, I've really loved your work. I just also like want to let you know, like I've decided to get a tummy tuck and I'm like, why do you think that I would be upset about that? Was, I'm nothing, you telling me? I am nothing but happy for you because I think there's like this, because I chose not to do that, uh-huh. that I'm some sort, I'm on some like higher ground. Like, no, like absolutely not. Like, I so believe in body autonomy that like a friend of mine just recently went and got gastric bypass and I'm like, what can I do to support you? Like, I, I'm here to do anything for anyone and that has nothing to do with, you know, my past experiences with my body. Like, it, show up for each other. We're It's so interesting to me that we live in a world where we're very much fighting for the rights of women to have choice around their body, but also ripping them down for their like individual choices as well. It's just so messed up and I feel like we are... I want to. I, a lot of times, I'm like, "Well, men did this," but the reality is, I think that we're really doing it to each other too. Is there ways well, that we can so get around? Though,
1: right? Because, yeah. like,
0: I don't think you know. I, I think we have to like frame the question correctly. The problem with
1: beauty culture is not that an individual person wants to wear lipstick and they should. Yes. The problem with beauty culture is that people are penalized in serious ways in their professional lives. They're pressured to get plastic surgery. They are taught from a young age that they can't find love if they don't look a certain way. Mm -hmm. Like that's the problem with beauty culture, right? And this is the problem, like it's a very, social movements are very complex. There's individual responsibility and it's true that individual choices and individual patterns impact what the cultural narrative is. But at the same time, going after individuals on Instagram for like their personal choices is yes. probably not the social change movement that you think it is yeah. right when like our bigger problems are we're not framing the problem correctly i mean mm-hmm. there's this writer Jessica Defino who i love who if you don't know i would check out she writes about the beauty industry and she's she also focuses a lot on the ways that beauty culture can be like diet culture. And also yeah. beauty culture is very connected to the climate crisis, which is not something that I was super aware of before I started following her work, right? And she's kind of like, I don't care if you buy this thing because I'm judging you morally. I care that 90% of the beauty industry is based on petrochemicals that come from oil production. And mm. like we have a global systemic corporate problem here that is not yeah. about like did you get your tummy tuck or not? So yes, I think we have to like take a step back and like, okay, why do we care about this? What do we want to do about it? Yes, there's mm-hmm. personal actions we can take, but spending your energy like evaluating and judging other people's individual choices does not usually produce a ton of social change in my experience.
0: What are some ways that we can work towards just even unfucking our daily lives? Like what are some key things that you notice that people are stumbling upon a lot, whether it comes from body image, whether it's advocating for themselves in the workplace or in their relationships. What are like some key tips that you might have for us that just are looking for Maybe don't, we don't have like one big thing that we're struggling with. It's just this overwhelming sense of overwhelm.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> you do know I what mean, I mean? I would listen to, so
1: I have an episode called The Thought Ladder. Mm. I never remember to look it up and see what number it is before I get on a podcast, even though I recommend it like every week, but I can Google it <laughs> right now. The Thought Ladder. Okay. We'll put it in the show notes, let's say. So my podcast is called Unfuck Your Brain. There's an episode called The Thought Ladder. And that is kind of the core tool you can use to get from what you're thinking about any issue to what you want to believe. Mm. The reason you need a ladder is that most, a lot of people have heard of like affirmations or positive thinking. And for a lot of people, those haven't worked. And the reason that they haven't worked is that your brain, your brain's reward system. This is like a simplification, but it's useful is basically runs on dopamine, right? Dopamine is a chemical that makes you want to do things. So it's like the reward chemical. And so Part of the problem is that when you try to believe something that is way too far from where you are. So I always use the body image example of, this is like one of the first things I worked on. I thought my stomach was disgusting. And so my thought 25 times a day was my stomach is disgusting. Mm -hmm. If that is like an incredibly powerful neural network that you have built in your brain from 30 years of thinking that 25 times a day, you cannot just start thinking, I'm a beautiful goddess and feel amazing. You don't believe that in any way. And so you do not get any emotional payback or any chemical reward in your brain for practicing that thought. It's like saying to myself, the lizard people are in charge. I don't believe that. So nothing Mm -hmm. emotional happens in my body. Mm -hmm. Nothing chemical Mm -hmm. happens in my brain. That's a good comparison. yeah, I'm just repeating a nonsense syllables. So I yeah. can be saying like, argle, bargle, bargle. Like yeah. it doesn't create an emotional, that creates more emotions. I think it's funny yeah. compared to like, so most people have heard like affirmations or positive thinking. And they if they if they have tried it, either they've dismissed it out of hand because they're like, that's stupid. They're actually right. They're like, I can't believe that. Mm-hmm. Or they've tried it and gotten no payoff. The key, The secret to fucking life is to practice baby step neutral thoughts that move you a little bit at a time From your negative thought to what you want to be thinking, Mm. people want to feel good right away. As with anything in life, it will not feel good right away. If you never exercise and you decide you want to feel amazing exercising, guess what? The first little while feels like shit because you are yeah, you can't breathe and you're sweaty and you're not used to it and your brain thinks you're on fire. Toilet
0: like two days later
1: it hates it, right? Yeah, but that's normal. That's part of the process. If you want to learn to cook, you need a lot of band bad burned under seasoned food along the way until you learn how Mm -hmm. same thing, right? It's like being like, well, I'm going to go in the gym and then I want to deadlift 400 pounds immediately. Like that's how you break your back. So you cannot, you start with something little. So the thought ladder goes into this. But for instance, what I used with my stomach was that's a human stomach. Mm. It did not feel great. It did not feel amazing. It was not inspirational. I always say you're like your neutral or your thought ladder thought should not, qualified to be on an inspirational Pinterest graphic. Oh, like yes. it should not look good, like needle pointed on something or on a rainbow. Like it should just be, you're just trying to feel 10% less shitty.
0: Yes. That's oh, point.
1: that's achievable. We can do that. Right. We can feel and then you build on that shitty. over time. And then, you know, people est- overestimate what they can do in a day or a week. We've mm-hmm. all made to-do lists for a Saturday that mm-hmm. later we're like, what was I thinking? That's yeah. like, Three weeks of work. Whoever
0: wrote this list was a very different
1: person. It crazy, <laughs> right? What is happening? But we way underestimate what we can do in a longer period of time. It's like mm. a bias human brains have about time. So if you practice thoughts that make you feel 10% less shitty for six months or a year or two years, you will move so far up. You will be at that amazing thought that you truly didn't think you could believe. Mm. You have to earn your way there. Yes. You can't just say it once to yourself, not believe it and be
0: like, well, change doesn't. thought change doesn't work. I love this because it's not even like it's not positive affirmations. It's like ten percent oh. neutral affirmations, and like yeah, that 10% should be a book. Yeah, ten percent less shitty.
1: Like ten percent less shitty affirmations. I think affirmations. my stomach is disgusting, but I also am still worthy of eating today. Or like yes. I think my stomach is disgusting, but many people have the stomach. Like it's literally you are just trying to feel a tiny bit better in your a body when you think better. it. Yeah, which might still feel bad compared to neutral. It might be still well below neutral.
0: I think this is such an echo into what we're experiencing on social media right now. The things that five years ago felt so jarring to see somebody without makeup or bearing their stretch marks for the first time. And now five years down, it's become so mainstream, but I also think it's sort of in a collective of 10% less shitty or 10% just going a little bit more neutral. It makes me excited to think that in 10 years from now, it's not even going to be a conversation Maybe it will be. I'm sure we're uh, we're always going to have some form. Yeah, beauty culture's been around for a long time. So it's gonna it's gonna take a minute, but I do think that we're gonna have a better grip on it, or maybe Mm -hmm. at least a little bit more understanding as we move through it and we make these inherent individual choices with it. I think it's also fascinating what you're doing. I, I. To be honest, like we're sitting here and I'm having so many aha moments because you're very good at your job, first of all. But second, like (laughs) it's really nice to it's really nice to have somebody that's not promising big grand things, but like a 10% is a 10%. Like that changes your life. And I don't think that we give enough credit to if you can do something, if you can feel 10% less shitty, well, that's 10% less brain energy that's going to that thought, that 10% that's going to go into your family, your home, your job, whatever else that you, your passions in life. 10%. And that adds up to the big grand thing. Like that's yes. what people don't
1: understand. Like Americans are so socialized to want, this is a very American thing. We want the quick fix. We mm-hmm. want the overnight transformation. Mm-hmm. We want the before and after, before the cover and after. of the People magazine. Yes. I lost a hundred pounds in 20 minutes by just staring at a grapefruit, like whatever yep. nonsense. less shitty over a year, two years, five years completely changes your life. Yes, it does.
0: You're incredible. Thank you so much for this conversation today, uh, personally, and for everybody listening. (laughs) Like If this never airs, I am just grateful. (laughs) Tell everyone where they can find you, where they can plug into your network, your community as well, because you're apparently doing some really amazing stuff. I'd love to hear about it.
1: Yes, you can find me at, well, the Unfuck Your Brain podcast is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can go to unfuckyourbrain.com. You can find more about me there. You can find the podcast there. And you can find the waitlist for The Clutch, which is my feminist coaching community. Mm. We only open twice a year for new members. And we'll be opening in late October 2022. Okay. And then on social media, my name is long and hard to spell, but it's mm-hmm. at Carl Lowenthal. If you get close, it'll probably... it's Yeah, it might, it, it might just give it to you. But Yeah, there's not that many. There's no one else with my name. So if you start with at car and you get the L-O-E-W in there, you'll probably bring it up.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much for everything. And for everyone listening, I'll make sure all of the spelling and everything is in the notes as well. And we will see you next week. Let's all just feel 10% less shitty this week. If that that's our goal. I love that goal for us. We'll see you next week.
1: If you're loving what you're learning in the podcast, you have got to come check out The Clutch. The Clutch is the podcast community for all things on Fuck Your Brain. It's where you can get individual help applying the concepts to your own life. It's where you can learn new coaching tools not shared on the podcast that will blow your mind even more. And it's where you can hang out and connect over all things thought work with other podcast chickens just like you and me. It's my favorite place on earth and it will change your life. I guarantee it. Come join us at www.unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. That's unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. I can't wait to see you there.